is good to be with you guys this morning. And on behalf of the elders and pastors, we just want to continue to let you all know we love you guys. We're so thankful that you are part of our church. And as we grow as the body of Christ uh, together, um, Pastor David, I don't know if some of you saw him. He snuck in on us this week. Didn't think he was coming back till next week. But we put outside over here some uh, butcher paper, and we would love for you to sign a little note, just letting him know if you've missed him, what you love about him. If you want to give him a hard time, as Bill does over here, then you guys can do that. Um, but if you just want to sign that, we're going to hang that up in his office and just kind of welcome him back off of his sabbatical uh, with open arms as we go forward. So this summer, I got to do something I have not done for 15 years. I got to go back to the Midwest and see summer in the Midwest for the first time in a long time. And in doing so, I remembered what a yard looks like, how much yard people have in the Midwest and in the South, and how much grass and the green that it is. And I took my kids, and uh, this was exciting for me to show them kind of where I'm from, where their heritage line is from uh, in the South, and they experienced rain, um, like buckets of rain. So much so that my son took his phone and called his mom and said, look at this, and showed her on FaceTime just what rain looks like because it was coming down so hard. And so then I took him outside after the rain, and I said, hey, we're going to do sparklers. They're like, what's a sparkler? It's like, hey, hold this. I'm going to light this. No, Dad, the grass. Grass will burn. It's like, oh, you don't have to worry about the grass in the Midwest. The grass is fine. And they're like, you sure? It's like, you can throw that thing on the grass. It will be okay. And so then they started, oh, look at this, start throwing stuff. So then we had fireworks. We were having a great time, got to go to Wrigley Field. And then the whole trip was going to then set up this road trip, over 1,800 miles that we were going to travel from uh, Illinois, Indiana, through Kentucky, because we wanted to go see that thing right there, the recreation of Noah's Ark. And uh, it is worth it if you ever get out to Kentucky, uh, to then head down to Mississippi and then make our way back up and do that again. And so on our first day of the trip, um, we were excited. Five hours we're going to go. We'd made three hours out of the journey, got some lunch, got back in the car for another two hours to go. Everyone's still in pretty good spirits. We're listening to the United States women's national team play World Cup soccer on the radio. And then I got the call. And the call was not one of those that you look forward to. It was the call regarding Luke Sullivan. And it was the call regarding how he had just been in a crash and how the crash was not looking good. And one of those gut punches, kind of like I just gave you right here. Um, and in that moment, I remember asking myself, why? Why God? Like, I, I've watched Luke grow up in this church and I've known his heart and what he is desiring to do. And now that he's getting to go do what he's desired to do for so many years, why? Why would you now bring this tragedy into his life when he's going to do your work for your kingdom? And, and I remember just, just being kind of locked up. Now, here's, here's me, just so you know me. Um, I put up an emotional wall quick so that I don't take the full weight of the hit. So an emotional wall went up quick just to protect the heart. Um, but then I went through these questions. Okay, God, what is it you're doing? Why are you doing this? So that I could wrestle with it. 
first service, the gut punch hit hard. Um, almost broke down just having to say what I just told you guys. Um, second service, because the Sullivan family was here. I, I had to ask God, because I was watching them as we were singing, and I started crying. It's like, God, hold me together, because it will go fast. Um, so why? Like this, this is what we're dealing with in the book of Ecclesiastes. The hardships of life, thinking things through, what's really of worth, what's really not of worth, vanity, vanity, and then how do we come out of these things? And this is why we're going to turn there again today. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, I believe God gives us answers, and he also gives us reason. He gives us the ability to think through and understand how to then put our faith and trust and our hope in him in the hard times of life. So if you want to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and today we're going to be kind of ping-ponging throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and so we're not just going to stay in one spot. We're handling the, each of these sections, I believe, correctly in their context, but we've got a lot to kind of move through to help understand three truths. Three truths that God has helped me understand through his word and through my life that then when these moments hit, help guard my heart and guard my mind and help me to then move forward in my faith. Those three truths, first one, God is sovereign. That God is really in control. That he knows what he's doing. That he, above all things, is the one working all things out. And that in his time, he will make all things beautiful. That he is sovereign. That's truth number one. Truth number two is that sin has impacted our world. And because of the effect of sin upon our world, there is pain, there is hurt, there are a lot of bad things that take place. And, and so I, we have to be able to deal with that. And then truth number three is that I have to look at life from an eternal perspective. I have to get beyond just the here and now because in the here and now, I really can't always understand, God, why is it you're doing this? What is it you're doing here? But when God helps me to get above the tree line and look at life from an eternal perspective, then because of his truth and his word, I can say, okay, I don't understand why this is happening right now, but I can trust you because I've seen throughout your scriptures, you work all things out for the good of those who love you. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And last week, if you remember, we talked about this term crooked, and we talked about how it kind of has, can have a little bit of a dual meaning, but in this context of the book of Ecclesiastes, he really is considering this word to mean an unsolvable labyrinth, a mystery. The idea that, God, I really just can't put my finger on how it is or what it is you're doing sometimes in life. But I know that you are still in control. He gives us the ability to reason and to understand a little bit more how God works when we understand that he is sovereign. And in dealing with a world that is affected by sin, yet God still being fully sovereign, you can see how both then prosperity and adversity are going to happen. 
It is only when one has a truly eternal perspective that one can see how both of these can be used by God to bring about his will for the good of those who love him and then a final judgment for those who don't. Ultimately, this side of heaven, we will never fully understand all that God is doing. But dear church, God has not left us hopeless or without reason. In God's word, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things are for us and our children. That was one of the greatest comfort verses in my whole seminary career. Because it told me, while in this life, I can't always put my finger on what God is doing, because there are things that are secret, things that are unknown to us. That through all of God's word and scripture, as we understand it and read it and grow in it, he has revealed enough truth. It is sufficient to meet all of our needs for what we are going to go through and how we should live our life. And so the revealed things then are there to help guide us and hold us when we go through life's hardships. God only gives us the revealed things of his word, but he gives us reason, the ability to logically consider who he is and what he has done and how he has been at work in this world. And so as we go through and we reason through what God has done and how he has worked, it then helps us when hardships come up because we can go back and say, you know what, I don't know what you're doing right now, Lord, but I've seen how you've worked in the past. And because of what you've done in the past, I see how you've brought that out to work good. And I've seen how you've made things come about that I didn't think were possible, bringing beauty from ashes. Not only does it give us the ability to reason, but he also gives us the ability to rejoice. Even in the moments of hard times, God can give us the ability to praise him and thank him for the kind ways that he will work all things out for the good of those who love him. And I believe a lot of that is based on holding to these three truths. That God is sovereign, that this world is affected by sin, but from an eternal perspective, God overcomes that sin. So we're going to turn now, and we're going to move back in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 10 to 15. And here at verse 10, the preacher king says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, and he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now that's a dramatic change from last week. Remember last week how this, the whole scripture starts off? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, like meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Now he's saying, hey, listen, in God's timing, all things are made beautiful. These two truths of God's sovereignty and this eternal perspective come to full light in these short verses here. God's sovereignty. He makes all things beautiful in their time because God is not passively sitting by, but he is actively working and making things happen. I'm not sure how much you've thought about who your God is as of late. But one of the truths that you should hold to and Scripture backs up is that God is an active God. He's not a God who's asleep. He's not a God who started something and then left. He's not a God who takes vacations. But he's a God who's constantly watching over his people and working on behalf of his people. He's taking both the good and the bad of life and he's weaving it together in such a way to make all things beautiful, but he does it in his time. 
Now, his time, this is something we got to get our minds on. Because Abraham was told by God, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. And after he got that promise, how long did it take before that came to fulfillment? 25 years before God brought fulfillment to that. And then Abraham was told, not even going to be the father of many nations, but hey, your whole family lot is going to go into a land, and they're going to be there for a while. But don't worry, I'm going to bring them out of there, and I'm going to bless them and bring them to a promised land. But how long were they there? 400 years. And then in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have another 400-year gap before Christ even comes and brings about the fullness of the plan of salvation. Like, God's time is way different than our time. And that's why we need this eternal perspective. You have to then get beyond just the here and the now to find your hope and your peace in life's hard times and the troubling questions that will come. Keeping an eternal perspective in the midst of these hardships, remembering that God is sovereign, that he's making all things beautiful in their time, this may not be our first thought in the moment of tragedy, but it is these truths that help to strengthen our faith and can move us forward. The preacher king then in verses 12 and 13, keeps these thoughts going and says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil, because this is God's gift to man. Remember the scripture that says in Matthew, if you then, and this is Jesus talking to kind of humanity, his disciples, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And I bring that up because when you think about God being sovereign, you need to understand God is good. Because if he is the one who is in full control, you need to know, well, he's good, and he is going to then be able to work all things for his good and for my good because I love him. There is no evil in our God. Like this is something we need to know as Christians. That our God, there's no yin-yang perspective within the mind of a Christian. Because God is only good. There's not a Star Wars kind of mindset where the force is out there and there's the good side and the dark side. That's not how scripture works. That's not how scripture talks about them. As we read through scripture, we learn these truths. There is one God and one God alone. That this God is all-powerful. That God is all-knowing. That he alone is fully present. These are the truths about our God. Because he is our God, and these are these truths, we also need to know that he is a God of love. And it is because of his love that he is tirelessly patient with sinners and with this world. It is due to his love that he is willing to endure all the hardships, the pains that he sees exist because of the effect of sin, but it's because he is looking at souls that will have to face an eternal judgment, that he is being patient and kind to allow these things and these hurts to take place so that many of them would come to know him as their God and then their sins would be forgiven. It is the effect of sin that can make this world feel like the tides have turned and that evil is winning. But dear church, your God, my God, our God, 
sits alone on the throne. And he is sovereign, ruling over this world. The preacher king keeps going in verses 14 and 15 saying, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that the people fear before him, and that which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Again, this pulls us to see, hey, this is our God. He is making all things come about the way he desires them to come about, and he is working all things for the good of his people, making them beautiful in his time. So how do we reason through life's hardships? How do we handle those tough times that we just talked about with Luke and other things that go on in our lives? We cling to these truths. God, you are good and sovereign. I understand that there is sin in this world, and because of that sin, I understand it's going to mess things up. It's going to make things hard. It's going to make things evil and bad. And yet, I know eternally, you can make things beautiful and that you can work these things out for our good. These truths remind us then of what we said the last part of the whole book is about in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Because not only is God fully good, not only is God fully love, but God is a fully just God. And so as God looks on this world, he says, I will bring to account those things that are sinful, hurtful, hateful. All of these things will be brought under judgment one day. And the hope for the Christian is that, hey, all of my stuff that I've done, God, you have removed and washed away when you died on the cross for me, and I can give you praise. But as I look at the world around me and I see hurt and pain and evil going on, it should stir my heart to say, but there's a lost world out there that needs to know these truths. Because if they don't know them, God's word promises they will face a judgment. Not because he's an evil God, but because he's just. And his justice demands a payment for these things. So then how, how do we handle that? How do we work our way through that? And how, in these moments where we're resting ourselves through, we say, okay, hey, you know what? My mind can reason and say, I can see that God is sovereign. I can see the effects of sin on this world. I can see that in eternal perspective, I may not understand what's going on now, but God, you're going to work all these things out for good. How do I lead my heart to then rejoice in these moments? And today's catechism question answered some of that for us. It says, what hope does everlasting life hold for us? Because it reminds us this, that this present and fallen world is not all there is. Soon we will live with and enjoy God forever in the new city and in the new heaven and in the new earth where we will be fully and forever freed from all sin and will inhabit renewed resurrection bodies in a renewed and restored creation. Revelation 21 and 3 and 4, the supporting verses for this statement. It says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain 
anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is our good, good news. That allows us as a Christian to stand back from the world and the hurt and the pain that we're in and to say, one day this will be no more. One day I will be with my Lord and Savior and all these heartaches and pains will be removed because my God is good. And he, being good, is going to work all these things in a great way to allow me to experience the fullness of what he intended our lives to be. Dear churches, these truths that God used to help my heart and my mind when I was having to deal with Luke, when I heard about the crash, and then later when I heard about his death. These truths that have helped me through many, many hard times in my life. There's a few other scriptures here in Ecclesiastes I want to show you that kind of help drive these thoughts home. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, it says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Which again, this continues to talk about how good and sovereign our God is. But it is the same for all, verse 21 says, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice, this is an evil. And all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all, and after that they go to the dead. So now the preacher king is really emphasizing here the effect of sin and how this evil really has plagued our world. Because he says, in the world, when I look around it, I can understand the concept of, hey, you did bad, you should have bad things happen to you. Kind of like a karma mindset, right? But that's not how he sees the rest of the world. He says, not only do the bad people have bad things happen to them, I see the good person over there, and I see bad things happening to that person. Why is it that the good person had bad things happen to him? That doesn't make sense. Not only do I see bad things happening to the good person, but he says, everyone I see die doesn't matter how good they lived, they died. doesn't matter how wise they lived, they died. Same thing happened to that bad person over there. They died, and the foolish person, they died. says, this really is an evil that the whole world is experiencing this same thing. But a little bit earlier, did you hear the part where it talked about love and hate? Let me clarify that. Because while death is a hard thing for us to handle and swallow here on this earth, if we step back and put ourselves back into an eternal perspective, death for the Christian is a real means of love. Because death means you're coming out of this world of sin and you're being ushered into a world of perfection. You're being taken from the world where things are going to be hurtful and painful and being brought to a world where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hurt and heartache. And our God is there to live with us and dwell with us. And that is good news. It says for the Christian, this is really an act of love to be brought out of here. Even though right now, we sometimes struggle when those that are loved are taken. And we're having a hard time wrestling through the hardships of life when those that we love are hurt. And different things take place of that kind in our life. He says on the other end, though, listen, this is really hard to hear, but those that don't know Christ, this, this, this looks to be a means of hate, but the hate has been towards God. And because of the hate towards God, 
there's judgment that will bring and be brought about. And those that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when they die, will have to then face his wrath and his judgment for eternity. These truths right here, these are the ones that as Christians should shake us to the core to say, I need to look at the world a lot different than the way I look at the world. Because as I take these truths and I hold on to them and I think about them, it reminds me that, well, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am no better than the evil person on my own. And because I am no better than the other person on my own, all of us, Romans 6, all of us deserve this death. All of us deserve this judgment. The only thing that frees me from this judgment over here is the free gift of God, which gives eternal life to those who are in Christ. And it's those truths that then should stir my heart to say, I need to now go tell the world that God loves them. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. I need to let them know, hey, listen, when Jesus came, he came not to condemn the world, but he came to save it. And he came so that you and I and whoever would believe in him would not be condemned. But he wants us to know, like, but whoever doesn't, they're condemned already. Now, the author in Ecclesiastes understood this as well, because he goes into verses 4 to 6, and he says, But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, for they have no reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. And so the preacher king now is saying, listen, when you're alive, there's a chance that you would hear these truths, and you would turn and you would repent and you would find the greatness and the goodness of our God there to meet you with arms wide open and to then say, you are now my child. You have been removed from all this hurt, pain, and the judgment that it was due. He says, but no matter how strong you are in this world, no matter how powerful you are in this world, no matter what kind of a lion-type persona you have in this world, if you do not know me as your Lord and Savior, then you will have to face this judgment. This right. And all your wealth, your power, all of your attitude, none of it will do you any good in that final, final judgment. Luke Sullivan. Luke Sullivan understood these truths. Not only did he understand them, but he... He full-on embraced it, and it's what led him to go and do what he did. I don't know how many of you knew Luke, but let me share a little bit about his story. Uh, I met Luke when I first got here working with the Iwana program. He was helping out with the TNT program, and he was helping boys learn to memorize God's Word and then to study God's Word and to plant in their hearts the truths of what God has done. So that when these kind of things happen, they would have something to go and ground themselves on and to walk on firm footing. And at 13 years old, because of all the work and stuff that he had put into Awana, he was able to go to an Awana camp um, and have a special experience during the summer. And during that Awana camp, he was then told the story of Jim Elliott and Nate Sate, two missionaries that were missionary pilots 
that then took the gospel to people that had never heard because they wanted to make sure that the lost knew Jesus Christ. And they wanted to give an opportunity for them to turn and repent of their sin and be saved. And these, not only Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, but a group of men, they kind of had embraced this concept. Jim Elliott said it best. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot earn. Like they understood that, hey, our God being sovereign, he is working all things out, but I see the impact of sin on our lives. I see the impact of sin on our world, and I see the need for a Savior. And because I understand eternally that we will all face a judgment and only those that are found in Christ will be saved, I am compelled to then take that message to the ends of the earth, wherever God would lead me. And that call that Luke felt at 13 pushed him then through the rest of his life. So that in high school, Luke said, hey, I'm going to go on missions trips. I'm going to where the lost need to hear the gospel. Places that I don't think the gospel is freely given. Places that sometimes he said, I'm not even allowed to tell people Jesus Christ loves them through word. I can only do it through action. And so he would go even on these mission trips where he would just live it out just by doing kindness and showing the love of Christ through what he could in hopes that one day that would open up an opportunity for him to share the truth that Jesus Christ alone is Lord, and that alone can save them. And then after high school, he said, I'm going to now go on to college, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to learn how to be a missionary pilot because I want to then be able to take the gospel even more to people that are in remote places who have not heard of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to accumulate a lot of debt because it takes a lot to learn how to be a missionary pilot. And he said, I'm going to go do that, but after I'm done with that, I'm going to get rid of that debt, and I'm going to get myself to the mission field. And so he set out after college, working two to three jobs. And then he had a family, got a wife, got kids. But he said, I'm going to push through. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And then we got to this point this year where we were able to say, hey, he's ready to go. And so we're happy to support and send you out, Luke to go and share the gospel with those that have not heard and to train up pastors to then take God's truth into places that nobody else is able to get to so that they would know how great is our God and that he alone is sovereign. And he, he went with full heart from 13 all the way until he went. I've never seen him waver in his moment. He thought about things. He thought about baseball. He loved baseball. When he got married, he wasn't sure if his wife wanted to go right away. But he said, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm pursuing this because this, as I take a step back and look at life from an eternal perspective, I see this. This is what matters. So this is what I'm going to do because I feel called to go do it. Now, we don't have to go like this, like Luke did. But when we step back and take life from an eternal perspective, then it should change the way that we then walk this world. Because now our eyes should be looking for, hey, that person right there, that person needs to know Jesus Christ. That person right there, I see the hurt, I see the pain, I see the frustration in their life. I know a God who can help walk them through that. I can bring the message of hope to the lost. And then as we walk this world together and we go through hardships and hurts, we need each other to come alongside and say, hey, let me remind you of how good our God is 
and how he is sovereign, how he is in control. Because life is going to give us hard stuff because of the effect of sin on us. But as we step back again and say, but here's what God's word tells us. It tells us that he makes beauty from ashes. That he makes all things beautiful in their time. And that he is working all things for the good of those who love him. Dear church, this morning, the preacher king also says, hey, those of you that come to the church, those of you that worship in holy places, that some of you, some of you may not have even embraced this truth yet. Some of you may not have looked to Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. So this has been happening from the beginning of time. And today, if you hear these truths, and this has not been something you've embraced yet, I challenge you today, turn to the Lord. Repent of your sins, because all of us have been there. There's not a human being that's walked this earth except for Jesus Christ alone, who has not sinned and is not in need of him to save us. And because we all need him to save us, then turn and repent of your sin. Cling to Christ so that you would then be saved. And in doing that, you would then, with Jim Elliott, with Luke Sullivan, with those of us who would cling to these truths that God is sovereign, and through his sovereignty, he is working all things out for the good of his people. We would understand that I see the effect of sin upon this world, the hurt, the pain and death it causes. I see the tribulation it causes for the Christian. But I can take heart because I know my God has overcome this world. And in keeping an eternal perspective, I know that one day he will work all things out and that those that are in Christ are saved. And those that aren't, that seem to be getting away with things in life, I know one day they will have to face a judgment. And yet, because I know what that judgment is, I wish it on no man. And so let me share with you the hope of Christ. Because he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot earn. Let me pray for you. Almighty God, as we come to you this morning, we give you thanks that you are good, that you are sovereign, that you are in control. And God, that even in a world that is impacted by sin, God, we know that eternally you will work things out for your people. You've shown it throughout Scripture. God, you've revealed it throughout time. So God, as we go through the hurts and hardships of life, may we look to you, our God and our King, to find hope and strength. May we give you praise as we rejoice for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.